Maria. Uh, as Maria said, uh, I'm JP. Um, I've been, I think this is the fourth or fifth time uh, I've been with you guys, and it's always a treat uh, to come up and uh, be with our brothers and sisters uh, at the Table Church. And I was telling the group earlier as we were praying beforehand that I feel like Carrie and I, my wife, like we, we've kind of gotten to get a little bit of an inner window into the church planning process coming and spending time with you guys and, and spending time with, with Brad, but also from afar uh, as well, too. And it's just such an encouragement to us. And then to have people come up with us um, to, uh, to see you guys as well, too, as we move towards launching uh, in the fall. Uh, the second thing is this. The last time I came here was a, was a few months ago, and Brad was telling me that, uh, that when I came the, the, the week after I came, that one of your children, whom I, I don't know, came to him and asked him, um, Pastor Brad, when is that short guy going to come and preach again for us? And Brad said he started to feel a little bit insecure. Like, I mean, did he like his preaching better than, yeah, better than my preaching? And so Brad said, he asked him, so, well, did, you, did you enjoy it when Pastor JP came and, and preached? He said, he said, yeah, he was okay, but his kids were awesome. So my kids are here, so children, please play with my, uh, w- with my kids. They would love to shoot hoops with you, run around outside uh, afterwards and everything. So I feel like we have a very dear relationship with, uh, w- with you guys, and they're super thankful for that. Um, as you guys are starting to look at the book of Galatians, uh, you know, Brad sort of laid out some of, the, some of the kind of the big nugget takeaways from the book of Galatians la- uh, last week, and so... I want, before we dig in to Galatians 2, just a little bit of a reminder of what some of those are. Um, last week, Brad talked about how Galatians is Paul writing this, uh, writing this letter to churches in Galatia to express to them that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in what Jesus has done. So that's a big thing. That's going to come into play here in our passage this morning. And that there's a problem that's happening inside of these churches in Galatia. And the problem is, is that there's a group of people whose background is Jewish who are kind of coming in and saying, hey, that whole grace alone by faith alone and what Jesus has done alone being salvation, that's only a part of it. You also need to keep certain laws that we've always sort of kept. So they're kind of trying to add to it. And Paul says that's an issue. That's a problem. Because what you're ultimately doing when you do that is you are willingly walking back into a life of slavery and bondage to your sin. And that's actually no gospel at all. And that those individual actions actually have communal repercussions. And that's exactly what we run into here today in Galatians 2 is the individual actions of one having some communal uh, repercussions. So we have an example of that. But before we get there, I want to tell you a little bit of a a story of when I was in high school. When I was in high school, my youth pastor, his name was uh, Joel Goff. Wonderful man. So much, I feel like, of what I learned about like being relational in ministry comes from my relationship uh, with him. Maybe some of you had a relationship like that with your youth pastor. But I remember being a senior in high school, and I was about to head off to the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina, where I grew up. And growing up, sports was like my thing, uh, baseball and basketball particularly, and I was actually pretty good at it. Um, and as I, I was getting into my junior and senior year, I, I'd kind of laid down the sports thing because, uh, I mean, 
I don't know if you've seen me, but I'm, I'm not exactly like six and a half feet tall, right? But I somehow got it in my mind as a senior in high school, I think I could walk onto the basketball team at College Charleston. And so I remember sharing this with my youth pastor, Joel, one day. I was like, hey, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of walking on, and I think I, I think I might be able to make it. And Joel, who loved me and cared deeply for me, looked at me, and he said, John Paul, I don't think your future is in basketball. I think you have some limitations that you need to come to grips with. And a reality that at five and a half feet tall, I don't think you're going to play Division I college basketball. And that's, I'm 17, right? Like at this point, you, you feel like, like you should have come to grips with that. But what Joel was doing was help, he was helping me come to grips with a fundamental reality in my life. And he loved me enough to be honest with me about that. To actually say that to me. Well, our passage today starts with that kind of love. That kind of relationship. But you see, Paul is not being honest with Peter just about a skill set or genetic realities that exist in his life. But, but Paul is being honest with Peter about a fundamental problem that Peter has. That, that Peter has something that is deeply wrong and deeply skewed about the way he's living his life, and that change is actually needed. So the, the big point uh, of our passage today is this, okay? So this is the big takeaway. Jesus fundamentally changes us to live by grace. Jesus fundamentally changes us to live by grace, and we're going to see that through the love of a friend and the grace of a Savior. So let's look at the love of a friend, verses 11 through 14 uh, in Galatians. Paul and Peter, they're friends. They have a relationship, and Peter has something going on in his life that is a fundamental issue with his way of life that Paul sees. And Paul sees that Peter's not living by grace, but he's living by something else. That Peter is actually living by the approval of other people. People that he's afraid of. And so he's drawing back at these dinners from these Gentile believers because he is afraid of a certain group of people. And this is actually something that's a big part of Peter's life. We see it even when Jesus was like walking the earth before his crucifixion. Peter had this fundamental issue that he cared far more about what people thought than what Jesus thought. That was always a struggle for Peter. You can remember it in the last hours of Jesus' life when Jesus was arrested and Peter was asked, do you know that guy on three separate occasions? And Peter said, no, 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 I do not know him. Peter had this struggle and this tendency to care far more about what other people thought than about what Jesus thought. And the particular issue in our passage today that we have in front of us is actually addressed in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10 and 11, here's what happens in Peter's life. God actually comes to Peter and he tells Peter, Peter, all foods are clean and Gentiles belong in the people of God by Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, received by grace through faith. So, verse 12 is an issue because Peter, for before certain men, came from James Peter was eating with Gentiles, but when these men came, he drew back 
and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. A little bit of background here. You see, Jewish law had these laws related to cleanness and uncleanness. And one had to be clean in order to enter God's presence. And some of those laws related around the foods that they ate, the different kinds of foods that they ate, that there were foods that they were not allowed to eat. But what God reveals to Peter in Acts 10 and 11 is that Jesus changes all of that. Because by grace alone, through faith alone, anyone can be made clean because of what Jesus has done. In other words, Jesus fulfills all of those cleanliness laws, what's often referred to as the ceremonial law. Jesus alone is the one who gets us into God's presence through what he has done in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And Peter, being afraid of the circumcision party, ain't no party like a circumcision party, right? (laughs) Not that kind of party. No, um, I wouldn't want to go to that party either. Um, No, it's a group of people, right? Like a political party, right? So that's what he's referring to here. Peter feared this group of people. This group of people was saying that what salvation was, was Jesus plus keeping these ceremonial laws. Essentially saying that Jesus didn't fulfill that. That there was something that was actually left undone. So don't eat with those people over there, Peter, because they're not following these food laws that we have. And Paul, what he does, as a good friend does, he calls it like he sees it. Peter, your life is fundamentally missing grace. You are fundamentally missing grace. That grace is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that when you add anything to Jesus, you lose the gospel altogether. By the way, Peter, you're leading others astray as well. Getting back to this idea that our individual actions do have communal repercussions. Barnabas was led astray by Peter's actions. Paul loved Peter. Paul cared about Peter. Paul loved him enough to be honest with him. That he was standing in condemnation the way that he was living. We're talking about Peter. Like Peter walked the earth with Jesus. Jesus restored Peter after he had rejected him three times. After the resurrection, Jesus came to Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Three times. Representing how big that restoration that Jesus was doing in Peter's life. And Peter still struggled. He still struggled to live by grace. He still struggled with caring more about what other people thought than about what Jesus thought. He struggled to have confidence in Jesus' life, in Jesus' death on the cross, and in his resurrection for him. And he lived out of fear, oftentimes. As I read this interaction that Paul tells us about that he has with Peter, to be honest, I see myself in Peter's shoes. (laughs) Um... I care a lot about what other people think. I care that people think that I'm thoughtful, that people think that I'm clear, that I'm nuanced, that I'm, uh, I'm understanding, that I've really given a lot of thought to things. I really, really care about those things. 
when I was in my last year uh, of seminary, um, one of the classes that you have to take in seminary is a pastoral theology class. And the professor of that class is a guy named Jerem Bars. I don't know if he teaches anymore, but he taught it for me, and I know he taught it for Brad as well, too. And one of your final assignments as you're working on your Master of Divinity in, in seminary that Jerem gives you is that you have to write a paper about the one sin that you think might destroy your family and your ministry. Now, that's a, that's a paper, right? And Jerem instructed us, he said, he said, now, if you believe that you have a very close and deep relationship with your spouse if you're married, Jerem said, I would encourage you to ask your spouse to answer that question for you, but only if you feel like you can handle that. And he was very, very serious. Jerem was always a very serious person, um, and he cared very deeply. And so I, I went home, and I said, Carrie, I've got this paper that i got to write. And the paper is on uh, the one sin that I think has the potential to destroy my family and, and my ministry. And Jerem asked us that if we felt comfortable to ask our spouses to answer that question for us. And so I asked her to answer that question for me. And I said, take some time. Don't, you know, right away. And in uh, a few days later, we were driving on 170 in St. Louis, Missouri. And we were, we were heading home. And I'd already been thinking about what her answer was going to be to this question for days at this point. Like it had kind of consumed me. And so I asked her to say, have you, uh, have you given any, any thought? To that um, question that I asked, asked you, you know, sheepishly, because you don't really want to know the answer. Um, and she said, yeah, I have. I've actually given a lot of thought. I was like, great, yeah, she's given a lot of thought to that. Um, and, you know, and, and it's sort of the, like normal things as a, as a guy, as, as a man, that you might be thinking about in your head. Like I was thinking, okay, so, so maybe her answer is going to be, um, maybe her answer is going to be lust, you know? Like, that, that's, that's going to be the thing. You're, tr you're trying to anticipate the answer. Well, all of my anticipation thrown out the window, and I was hit like a Mack truck. She said, I've given a lot of thought to this, and I'll be honest with you. I'm afraid that one day you're going to say something out of anger that you won't be able to take back with our kids and with the church that you pastor in. Oh. You see, my desires to want to be seen as thoughtful, as clear, as nuanced, as understanding. What she was sharing with me is that sometimes that can kind of take over. And you care far more about that other people think about those things about you. And then what that turns into for you is that it becomes, you know, I know more and care more than you do. You, you, you should follow me. And so it's actually rooted in a fear that others need to see me as competent and be willing to follow me and that I'm actually worth following. And Carrie loved me enough to say to me, essentially, just like Paul saying to Peter, you know, there are times that you don't live by grace. There are times that you don't live by grace in what Jesus has done and fully received that. There are times that you live by self-righteousness instead. And at times that makes you angry, and it makes you judgmental. 
And look, like Peter, I still struggle with that. I still have to get reminded of that. And the question that I feel like as I come to this passage that I'm asking myself is, do we have friends who love us like this? Do you have friends who love you the way that Paul loved Peter here? Where do you struggle with caring more about what others think than about what Jesus thinks? Do we have those kinds of people in our lives? Are we in those kinds of relationships that we actually open ourselves up enough to be willing to receive some of that, that we might be pressed more deeply into Jesus and what he has done for us, that it really and truly is finished? And there's a lot stacked against us here, okay? So I, I want to be honest about that because the world that we live in, I don't think the world we live in thinks about love this way all that much. I think if I had to give a definition to the way um, love is typically thought about currently is that love is unqualified affirmation. Just affirm me. Don't give me any pushback. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. A love that is predicated on nothing being wrong with whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, wherever I want to do it, whoever I want to do it with. And honestly, that, that definition of love makes it impossible to live by grace. It makes it impossible to live by grace. What grace does is grace gives us a thick love, not a shallow. Grace gives us a, a thick and a substantive love because grace faces the reality of our own sin and our own brokenness and our need to be fundamentally changed by grace in every aspect of our lives. Whether we care about what others think about the job that we're doing in our vocation or about what our marriage looks like or about what our parenting looks like whether we care too much about what others think about what skis I have up on the mountain. Whatever it is, grace is fundamentally changing you and me to see that Jesus has done everything. That it is finished in him. Paul loved Peter enough to tell them that. Peter, you're not living by grace. You're living out of fear. And then what Paul does is he tells us where that grace comes from. He tells us that grace comes from a Savior. And that's what verses 15, and 15 through 21 are all about. In verses 15 through 16, Paul names for Peter. He says, look, and he names for us and for the church there at Galatia. He said, look, there's actually no difference between Jews and Gentiles. That salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus and what he's done. And it's the same for everyone. It's the exact same for everyone. There's actually no difference whatsoever. And in verse 16, Paul says, Grace looks like not being justified or made right or made clean by my ability to keep a certain set of rules, but rather only through faith in what Jesus has done. Only through faith. The grace of a Savior equals faith that Jesus has done everything on our behalf. That's how grace comes to us. We receive it as complete gift. Completely a gift. 
We did nothing for it. Nothing is earned. It is only gift. And I've got to imagine that what we have here in 15 through 21 is at least some version of what Paul told Peter. It's at least some version of what Paul said to Peter. Peter, this is what your salvation is rooted in. It's rooted in grace. It's rooted in what Jesus has done for you as a total gift. Not in what others think. Peter, grow in your confidence in what Jesus has done. Not in yourself. And then in verses 17 through 18, it's almost as if Paul is anticipating the rebuttal that he's going to get. That, that, that's kind of, it's, when you look at it, it's, it's kind of obscure and confusing when you, when you read it. But basically, what verses 17 and 18 are saying, Paul is anticipating the Jewish rebuttal here. The Jewish rebuttal that would say, but yeah, but won't grace, won't this grace alone thing just give people permission to do whatever they want? Just give people permission to go and to run headlong into sin? And Paul, anticipating that, says, no way. Mm-mm. Not at all. Not even a little bit. Not if they understand really and truly what grace is. Not if, not if we understand really and truly what grace is. Because what grace does is it shows us our sin is much deeper than keeping the rules. That it goes way deep down into our hearts. That it's a fundamental opposition to God and the life that he has for us. Paul says, no, 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 no. Grace does not lead someone to think they can run headlong into sin. It actually does the opposite of that. It does the opposite of saying, oh, well, I have grace. I'm free to sin now. No, 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 no. Grace frees us to follow Jesus. That's what grace does. It doesn't just save us. It motivates us to follow Jesus and what he has done for us. Therefore, what it does is it frees us to come to grips with our own sinfulness. It frees us to come to grips with the fundamental opposition that we have in our hearts toward a God who is only good, only gracious, only merciful, only giving, only loving, only caring. It opens us up. It makes us into who we're supposed to be as those who bear God's image in his world, we are free to follow Jesus through grace. Free to own. At times, I care far more that you think that I'm thoughtful, that I'm nuanced, that I'm understanding, than that Jesus is everything to me. It opens us up. It opens us up to own that. We're fundamentally changed by grace to take in the cost of our sin. And that's exactly what verse 20 points us to. If you've been around the church any amount of time, or if you've read your, your Bible a little bit more, verse 20 is probably something that you feel like you've heard before because you probably have. It's one of those verses that's kind of famous. I have been crucified with Christ. The cost of our sin, the cost of our sin was crucifixion. Was Jesus' death on a cross. And in verses 20 through 21, the rest of verse 20 and into 21, 
The cross means that my life is caught up in Jesus. That my life is united to Jesus's in every conceivable way that you and I can think about. That Jesus has brought us into his life in such a way, in such a way that we are crucified with Christ. Which means we're dead to our sin. We're alive to grace. And the life that we now live in this flesh, we live because Jesus came and he loved us. And he gave himself for us. He loved us enough to be honest with us. He loved you enough to be honest with you. That at your core you were fundamentally in opposition to God. But grace absolutely and utterly changes that. Our life is caught up in Jesus's. We are fundamentally changed to live by grace. To own our sin and to run to Jesus again and again and again and again. Because he's everything. And because in him it is finished. And you know what this actually means? This actually means that you and I should be encouraged when we struggle. Believe it or not, we should be encouraged when we struggle. We should be encouraged when we recognize that we are struggling because struggle means grace. Struggle means that grace is opening up your eyes and opening up my eyes to the depth of my sin, the depth of our sin, and the depth of our need for our Savior. And that what Jesus has done is he has completed it. So we should be encouraged. If we don't have any more struggle, we don't have any more grace. If we've convinced ourselves that we've got this whole thing, you know, whipped and we're good to go, oh, we're in a bad spot. We're in a bad spot. Struggle means grace. It means that we should have the kinds of friends in our lives that love us like Paul did Peter. That we should let people in to invite us to see grace more clearly. And I want to be careful with that as, as well, too. You see, because Paul and Peter, they had a relationship. So if you're here this morning and you have, the, you have a, a temptation, like I can at times, to be what I used to call a truth machine, but like you can just go around telling everybody where they've done wrong, and all of that without any sort of basis, without any sort of foundation in Jesus and in relationship. That's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. Hold tight to those words. What's happening here is a real deep relationship that Paul and Peter had that was rooted in Jesus. That was rooted in what Christ had done. So if you have a temptation, like I do, to be a truth machine, hold back on that. Invite others in to help you see that. Invite others in to help you slow down, to build relationships rooted in grace. But do we have those kinds of people in our lives? Do we have the kinds of people in our lives who love us enough to be honest with us when they see us running headlong into condemnation? The way Paul did for Peter. And make no mistake... Paul didn't say this to Peter because just somehow Paul got it better than Peter did. That Paul was somehow better at grace than Peter was. Paul said this to Peter because he had the same struggle. 
if you remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul was this guy who had fundamentally committed his life to living by all of the rules and that that was saving him. So much so that these people who were followers of Jesus, who was this new guy had come on the scene, so much so that he was going and he was tracking down these Christians, arresting them, having them beaten, even having them killed. As a matter of fact, one of the first Christians, a man named Stephen, was stoned to death, and Paul held the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. You don't think Paul had a struggle with caring more about what others thought than what God thought? The reason Paul can say the things that he does to Peter is because he has the same struggle. And Jesus loved him enough to show him. Jesus loved him enough to blind him on the road to Damascus. And to say, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you fundamentally in opposition to grace, Paul? And he changed him. He opened his eyes to see grace. He opened his eyes to the point where Paul can say, just like he does in this passage, I've stopped trying to save myself by the law because it was never meant to save me in the first place. It was always, always, always grace. It was always what God was doing for me and what God had done for me in giving me Jesus. In sending Jesus so that Jesus would come and live the life that you and I should have lived. Die a death that we deserve and in exchange give us that justification. That made right. That made clean. That freedom to live in grace and to follow Jesus. And to no longer feel like we got to run headlong into our sin. But rather that we are free Free to follow Jesus, free to lean into flourishing, free to lean in to life. Jesus fundamentally changed Paul by grace. Jesus fundamentally changed Peter by grace too. This afternoon, if you got a little bit of time, go and read some of what, for, what Peter writes in 1 Peter. You know, Peter was on this trajectory of learning to live by grace just as we all are. There's some amazing things that Peter says in there that reflects the kind of grace that comes in and changes us. In Jesus, it's about what he's done, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection for us. Paul got caught up in that. He never got past it. And we shouldn't either. Because Jesus really and truly is everything. And Jesus is the ultimate friend who loves us enough to be honest with us. And his grace never fails. It never wavers. It is constant. It is consistent. It is always there. It is always changing us. Jesus fundamentally changes us to live by grace from start to finish. And that's what this table's about. This table that we get to come to every week is about grace from start to finish. It's about what Jesus has done for us and how he unites us to himself and he makes us right. He justifies us. It's a picture of that.
that it's through his blood that we are saved. It's also a promise. It's a promise that Jesus is not yet done with us. That grace continues to work. Grace continues to grow. It's a promise that Jesus loves us enough to keep us struggling. Jesus loves us enough to enter into the struggle with us and to show us his beauty, his grace, his finished work on the cross. So if you're here this morning and you belong to Jesus and you would say, you know, the struggle is real. The struggle is real, but in Jesus it is finished. And by faith, I'm striving to walk in that. If that's you this morning, this table's for you. You you need this. God actually promises that his grace is here, present at this table, really and truly growing us to live by grace more and more and more and more. But if you're here this morning, and that's not something that you would say is true about yourself then we wouldn't want you to come and to partake of something that's not actually true of what you believe. And so we would ask that you, you let this table pass you by this morning. There's nothing magical going on in the bread and in the, in the wine up here. And instead, what we would encourage you to do, we would encourage you to think about Jesus. To think about the passage that we just read, to think about grace, to think about the free offer of the gospel and that it is only gift, that you do nothing to earn it, but Jesus does everything for you. So we would encourage you to think about that, to pray about that, to come and talk to somebody about that instead of receiving these elements. Uh, The way that we partake of this Uh, at the table. We've been here a few times, so I'm going to try and get it right, and if I don't, Maria is going to correct me, and it's going to be okay. It's to come up in groups of eight to ten, and we'll gather around the table here, and we will partake uh, in in those groups, and then as one group leaves, feel free to come on up until uh, everybody uh, has been served. Um, But I'm going to pray for us, and uh, and then you feel free to come to receive the body and the blood of Jesus, which is broken for you, and his blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this meal that you have given us, a a, a tangible gospel of the work of your son, Jesus, that is finished, that it is grace from start to finish, through and through. And Holy Spirit, we pray that as we come to this table this morning that you, by grace, would work more deeply into us the depth of our sin, the cost to forgive it, and the love of God to do it for us. Please do that. Have your way with us, whatever you need to do in us, Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.